Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. morning from Coolidge, Arizona. We welcome you to the broadcast. Last week we began a, uh, a short talk on what we can learn from Ephesians chapter 1. And we got through the first 13 verses of that. Um, the reasoning behind this lesson is to hone our skills in uh, making sure that we understand the the words, the actual Greek words, and the grammar used in this chapter. If we ignore one or both of those, we're never going to understand what's being said. And we've got literally millions of Christians out there that do not because they're dealing with concepts of predestination and uh, things of that sort that they're taking upon themselves, uh, which would be uh, very erroneous concerning the text. So what we found, to summarize what we've already done, 
what we found is that the first 12 verses of chapter 1, after the introduction uh, from the apostle and uh, the uh, greeting from the Father and, and his Son, Jesus Christ, after that, <clears throat> the entire text has to do with the relationship between the apostles of Christ and basically the will of God or the, the plan of God for salvation um, for mankind. But it starts with the calling, the, the uh, foreknowledge of the apostles and their calling into that office because as we know, when the Lord was ascended to heaven, the apostles were left to bring the message of Christ to the world. So those first 12 verses have to do with them and them alone, outside of the, the uh, Father and the Son. And then in verse 13, that I'll begin with today, we find the, the, the pronoun, we finally find a pronoun that brings those that receive this letter into the conversation, if you will. I think it's interesting that the apostle would repeat the what he is saying about the apostles. But you know, the world needed to understand the role of the apostles um, as being those that spoke on, on behalf of Christ. And this is, was a wonderful example of how God had ordained this before, before uh, the creation itself. And that's what is said in those first 12 verses, <clears throat> along with many other things. And as I said, we're just going to have to do better in our Bible reading, interpretation, and conclusions, because there's been a lot of conclusions made on, on this text that have uh, caused many to live a life of um, question. You know the worst thing about predestination, friends, and I heard it from a man who told a story, is that no matter who you are, whatever church you're in, and most of the large denominations, uh, Christendom in itself almost totally believes in this predestined concept. And because of that, things are really rosy for a while. Oh, I, I'm, I'm one of the chosen. But you don't have any evidence that you're one of the chosen. And when you're on your deathbed, you start to have second thoughts about, I hope that I'm one of the chosen. You just don't know, do you? Uh, there, there's no list. We can't go to the Internet and find that list. So we're, we're, in the, we're in the dark, except the Scriptures do not leave us in the dark. We understand how it is we, uh, salvation comes to each person. And it certainly isn't by predestination. The predestination talked about in Ephesians chapter 1, verse, verses 1 through 12, is the predestination and the, and the call of the apostles uh, to the ministry of 
reconciliation, preaching Christ to the world. They were predestined for that position. A number of other prophets were predestined before they were born, while they were in their mother's womb and things of this sort. <clears throat> but we can learn these things by reading the Bible in a way that is useful to us instead of disastrous. So, I want after that introduction, which was rather long, I want to start with reading verse 13, and I'm going to read through 23, and then we'll talk about it. Because in here, where I, I'm going to go through after I read it and show you how the pronouns work in here the same way they did in the first 12 verses. Verse 13, I'm reading from Young's Literal Translation, who does a wonderful job with the pronouns here and in uh, the rest of the uh, translation. <clears throat> in whom you also, having heard the word of truth, the good news of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of the promise, which is an earnest of our inheritance to the redemption of the acquired possession to the praise of his glory. Verse 15. Because of this, I also, having heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and the love to all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Father, uh, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of the glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the recognition of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened for you knowing what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory in his inheritance in the saints. Verse 19. And what the exceedingly greatness of his power to us who are believing according to the working of the power of his might, which is wrought in Christ, having raised him up out of the dead and did set him at or in, basically, in his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and authority and might and lordship and every name named not only in this age but also in the coming one and all things he did put under his feet, and did give him head over all things to the assembly, which is his body, which is his body, the fullness of him who is filling the all in all. By the way, according to the punctuation in here, there really isn't any, this is all one breath. As a, as a matter of fact, um, I believe that, um, let me look at verse 12 here. This is all one breath all the way from the beginning of the chapter. Now, in verse 13, in whom you also, this was, this is where we get the idea of 
the who, the uh, you here, or the ye, the who, the you, whatever translation you have, this is a personal uh, pronoun. It's second person. It is to those receiving the letter. And we know this is the saints in Philippi. Simple as that. You also, having heard the word of truth, see, uh, where, uh, uh, and it goes on here, it's, uh, the you is used again. Then in verse 14, we have the idea of our inheritance. Well, the Apostle Paul speaks of, uh, of himself and the other apostles, but never another group as far as this sort of statement. People have, a, have an issue in, in verse 12 with those who first hope, hoped. That's right. And that issue, I mean, who is it that first hoped? <laughs> yeah. Really? I mean, is all you need to do is read the Gospels. You'll find out who they are, what group it is. Well, now there's more than just the 12. There were others that first hoped. But these are the ones... These are the ones that Jesus brought down off the mountain and introduced them to all the other uh, folks that were there that were following Christ as his twelve. It was known to them. It should be known to us, but it has fallen out of favor in the world we live in. Uh, and it has been that way for some long time. So... Uh, but here we're talking about the saints in Philippi. Um, <clears throat> let's see. Um, the our inheritance is first person, plural. Um, in verse 15, having heard of your faith, that's second, second person, plural, um, he, he commends them for, for the, the love of the, the saints and their faith. And he does not cease giving thanks for them, the you again, making mention of you in my prayers. You see how these pronouns are so important. Who is he, who is he saying? He's, he's praying for the church in Philippi, in particular in this statement. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of the glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the recognition of him. Now this is something the apostle is promising to the saints in Philippi. He's praying for it, that they may have the, um, uh, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that they may recognize uh, the recognition of, it, which, which is the idea of what? It, uh, yeah, of him. Understanding. I, I thought it was interesting in, in verse 16, there's no, in my, Greek, my Greek translation here doesn't have the of you. In, in fact, uh, as far as making, making prayers, but it's on you or upon you. Upon you. And yeah. then the next verse we have Paul asking that they have this spirit of wisdom. I know you're going to get into that. Right. So, 
there's a lot more to these verses than uh, sometimes we, we notice. This is a, a personal conversation yeah. with the brethren in Philippi. It's, we're simply, we are truly reading their mail. There's no question about it. But we have to understand that um, he's laying out the pattern and the progression that there is. Uh, from, from, I mean, if we go back to chapter 1, we find God determining things before the creation of the world. How far back do you want to go? That's pretty far back, friends. And then now, and then we, we end up with the apostles being preordained for this work. All because to the will of, of the Father through his Son, Jesus Christ. And then the, the declaration that they had heard the word of truth, the church. And because of that, they had, uh, they had salvation in his name. They had obeyed the gospel message. Uh, it, the gospel message isn't laid out here in a three, four, five part situation. It's understood. He's writing to Christians. It's a letter to Christian people. This is not an evangelistic message. And that's another problem we have. Uh, we can't quote um, statements made to Christians, to, to non-Christians, and expect them to understand it or be able to uh, bring it into their life without first being a Christian. That's another problem we have that it seems that it goes out, I guess, ignored just like the grammar that we find. All right. Um, actually, this, this all rolls together. All these verses roll together. Uh, the spirit of wisdom, you know, and revelation. This is the um, this is the, the, the gift. Actually, they're receiving some of that right now in this letter, especially about the, des the, the, uh, the apostles and how they were brought in. You see, they didn't appoint themselves, but I suppose many had claimed they had, just like some of the other false apostles running around that had claimed they were appointed, but they weren't. Because the scriptures, they don't mention them. And they're not there. The eyes of your, in verse 18, the eyes of your understanding, those in Philippi, for your knowing, the hope of his calling. You see, all of this he wants them to have. So, you see... The problem is, it seems like the apostle says everything and the church goes begging. The brethren go begging. That's not true whatsoever. All of this was bestowed upon the church. But we can't bestow the statements and the promises and the, and the conversation that Jesus had with the twelve. We cannot bestow that on the individual Christians that were not anywhere around at that time. That just wouldn't be right. But we find in the, in the epistles, uh, when these things are brought back up and applied to the, to the congregation, the assembly in general. We can't go beyond that, though. We do not go beyond what is written. 
and we won't get into that trouble. And now from verse 19 to the end of the chapter, this is dealing with God's working, or his will, if you will, if you want a more religious word. Um, God's will from 19 through, and listen to what it says again. And what the exceeding greatness of his power, that is God's power, to us, the apostles, who are believing according to the working of the power of his might, which he wrought in Christ. You see how these things have to fit? We cannot make a mistake and, 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 and translate the his of verse 19 to Jesus. This is God, his Father. And then in 20, Jesus is brought up, which is wrought in the Christ. You see, what God did, he did through his Son. Having raised him out of the dead, and did set him in his right hand in the heavenly places. It's the same pronoun there. Uh, I think Brother David brought it up once, and the idea of in his right hand is a very would be a very personal uh, comment. It's figurative anyway. Uh, we're, we're talking about hands here. Uh, the relationship between the Father and Son, we have to realize, is, is not a standoffish or uh, distant. Uh, so I, I don't know why we can't translate that, that properly, but apparently... It uh, doesn't sound right to some. But whenever you see that word at, um, you need to look a little closer at the grammar and, and the original word. Uh, it's usually translated uh, for the English speaker, as they say. So they're totally confused. All right. Verse 21, far above all principality and authority and might and lordship and every name named, not only in this age, but also in the coming one. Now this is, um, this is what is being said concerning the Christ. What's it say? Let's look at Ephesians 2. Um, oh, by the way, before we go to Ephesians, verse 20, if you're taking notes, Write down Matthew twenty-eight eighteen, because uh, this is the the declaration Jesus makes about uh, God granted him all authority in heaven and earth. Matthew twenty-eight eighteen says, um, "I'll read it for you, and then we'll move on." Now the apostles were coming near to Jesus, and he started to speak to them, and he said to them. Given to me was all authority in heaven and on earth. That's important. Okay? And then he sends them out, having gone. He sends them out to speak his word. Now, in Ephesians 2, 9 and 10. Ephesians 2, 9 and 10. Not of works that no one may boast. For of him we are work, uh, our workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to, good, to do good works, which God did before prepare uh, that 
in them we may walk. All right? We are, uh, this is the comment we need to understand as it references the authority of Christ and the place of Christ. Um, everything is, is in Christ. The apostles, uh, all the Christians, and all of the works concerning the church. And it, we're going to get to that verse here too. Uh, the next verse. Verse 22, and all things he did put under his feet. God put under the feet of his son, Jesus the Christ. And did give him, Christ, head over all things to the assembly. <clears throat> now we need to understand that. That's found in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 24 and 26. It is in reference to what is known as the kingdom of Christ that was seen in Nebuchadnezzar's dream and, and, uh, and translated uh, or uh, uh, and interpreted by Daniel in Daniel chapter 2. That's the kingdom cut out of the mountain without hands. It's the kingdom of Christ that, of course, became the kingdom of God. It always was the kingdom of God. So in uh, verse 24 of 1 Corinthians 15, when he, when he may deliver up the reign to God, even the Father, when he may have made useless all rule and all authority and power, for it behooveth him to reign till he may have put all the enemies under his feet. And the last enemy is done away, death. You know, we don't talk about that much, but within the kingdom of Christ, within Christianity, the idea of death becomes a moot situation because Jesus says those that believe in him shall never die. And the question is that he stated at that time, do you believe this? I'm wondering how many people do. But we're there again, see, we're, we're not understanding what is said here by death. We're not talking physical death. We're talking about death. Uh, Christians have life without end in Christ. Those that aren't, they have death. That's what death is. And then in the last verse, this, uh, which is his body, the fullness of him who is filling the all in all. Church is always called that even in Ephesians 4, uh, the all in all, so that God may be all in all through the church. That is the kingdom of God. God now lives amongst the brethren. That was, and this is the first time that it's happened. Was at the time that it, it happened then. At the fullness of the kingdom of Christ uh, where, where it, uh, he turns everything over to the Father that's when the Father lives with the brethren Revelation of course the last two chapters we find the whole account of that so we have quite a thing here uh, 
just a couple statements and for you to think about who is writing who is speaking all of these words in Ephesians chapter 1 it's the Apostle Paul right right and when the one apostle speaks they all speak for they all spoke from the very mind of Christ that's why you find the plural idea here in almost everywhere except in, uh, I think, verse 15, uh, where he says, I, at first person singular. Uh, he's making a personal reference to the people receiving this letter. Uh, why? Because it was him that was praying for them. He doesn't necessarily, uh, the, some of the other apostles may not even know about this congregation if they're uh, in distant areas. You see how accurate the, the text is? doesn't make those silly mistakes that we would in our own writing that an editor might find and correct for us. And then who is being spoken to? Also found in verse 15. You see, he says, Because of this I also, having heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and the love to you all the saints, it's there if we'll, if we'll look closely, if we'll pay attention to it. And just in a way of remembrance, the idea, uh, if, if you didn't remember it from last week or didn't write it down, the idea of first person when it's, it's according to the Greek text, the Greek pronouns and, and, and verbs and uh, adjectives, okay, the first person is a grammatical form of a pronoun, adjective, or verb that indicates the person's speaking or writing. That's the rule. Now, what is second person? We, we found the second person refers to the uh, brethren in uh, Philippi in the text. Second person is the grammatical form of pronoun, adjective, or verbs that indicates the person's spoken or written to. That's pretty basic, isn't it? But, you know, what are we going to do? Uh, are we going to we have to read a pretext? You know, we have to read an explanation before. No, just get this in your head. And most times, just reading our English text, we can find uh, very easily the first person, second person. We might have a question. We've got to go to a, a reference, a good uh, lexicon that has the, the parts of speech and things, uh, a good computer program, the one that we, we've been using for years. And I think uh, some of them don't, don't have that, but really is that is helpful. Without that, I think it's, it's uh, kind of lacking something. There, there are interlinear Bibles available. There are. Free, free online. I mean, it's, There's everything's available. It and, takes a little uh, bit of practice and a little bit of patience. That's right. But it, it can be understood. It's meant to be understood. That is right. Now, I want to move on today because I don't want to run out of time before I touch on this. My, my, my thing is here, because of the misuse of the first chapter uh, of uh, Ephesians, it's been developed into, this is one of the verses, one of the sections 
of a number of them that's been developed into the idea of the Calvinistic doctrine, the five points and, and uh, that sort of thing. As you know, we stand opposed very, very strongly against the Calvinistic doctrine as it is somehow trying to be introduced to the Lord's Church. Um, this was never, ever a thought in the first centuries. Uh, this uh, originated with Augustine and some of his writings uh, trying to explain his own, uh, uh, his, his own uh, weakness, why he did certain things at certain times when he shouldn't have. Uh, th those things, uh, you know, he wrote about. But they were developed into some sort of doctrine that's kind of a get-out-of-jail-free get card uh, doctrine. It doesn't work. Because unfortunately, like I said, you don't know where you're at with that doctrine. Um, one of the texts that's used is in the sixth chapter of John, and that's where we're going to be going. Jesus is talking to the Jews. This is the text where um, this is the text where we find Jesus talking about the bread of life. Uh, so the bread of life is the thing. John chapter 6, we're going to start with verse 35. And there's one particular word in here we're going to deal with, but I'm going to go ahead and read the text so you get the flavor of it for yourself. Remember, Jesus is talking to a group of, of Jews here. Uh, there's a number of leaders, of course, uh, and many of them are trying to examine every word and, and thing that he says. <clears throat> but some are also listening very closely. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of the life. By the way, Young's makes this translation properly, although I don't think it's made uh, in, in most of, of our translations in this way. I am the bread of the life who is coming unto me. He who is coming unto me may not hunger, and he who is believing in me may not thirst at any time. But I say to you that you also have seen me, and you believe not. Now, now there's a verse, friends, that pretty much states the, the issue of free will amongst men. We have free will. They had free will. It was recognized by, by the Lord. Some believe, but obviously some don't. Why not? They heard the same words. Verse 37. All that the Father doth give to me will come unto me. And him who is coming unto me I may in no wise cast without. Now why is that, friends? Is it not because this is God's plan of reconciliation that his son has taken to the world to deliver and actually complete uh, his part, which was the forgiveness of sin and the sending out of the apostles. But this is uh, any that comes to, to salvation, comes to, to uh, Christ's recognition, and calling upon the name of Christ, this is God's way of saving men. 
and the Lord will, of course, never counter it. Verse 38, Because I have come down out of the heaven, not that I may do my will, but the will of him who sent me. So the, the Son of God had a mission. Verse 39, And this is the will of the Father who sent me, that all he hath given to me may not, I may not lose of it, but may raise it up in the last day. Now, the next few verses, this raise it up in the last day is said over and over and over again because of all the different circumstances that, that uh, will follow the believer. Now, the last day, when Jesus said the last day amongst this group of Jews, you know what they, they thought? The last day is always the end of the covenant. The Messiah is there with them, and the last day is, is the day of, of uh, blessing from God to the righteous Jew and punishment upon those that have deserted their faith. Now, that's what the last day is. They knew what it was. It's just that worse, many people are still looking for the last day. But this isn't our last day, friends. This was their last day of the Jewish covenant. They understood that. There was no Gentiles here at this at this message, it wasn't for them. He came only to the lost sheep of Israel. That's right. These are to the Jews and to the Jews only. You see how we need to know that to understand. Well, that only changes everything. Right. People will say today, well, it says the last day. Well, we still, we're still living. But that has nothing to do with our last day. Everything to do with their last day. They understood it. Uh, we're having trouble with it. In verse 40, And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who is beholding the Son and is believing in him may have life without end, and I will raise him up in the last day. That's what it says in Romans 10:17. Verse 41, the Jews therefore were murmuring at him because he said, I am the bread that came down out of the heaven. Now why would they think badly of him because of this? Well, because of this, this reason. Remember, they're thinking on a physical level here. Right. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph? whose father and mother we have known, how then say this one out of the heaven I have come down? Well, if they'd asked him a few more good questions, I think he'd have told them. Even some of Jesus' own brothers didn't believe he was who he was. Not at this time. No, they didn't. You know, our culture and our preconceived notions are so strong uh, and, and it's evident in, in history. This is a perfect example. Now, let's go on. The key word we haven't come to yet. Jesus answered therefore and said to them, Murmur not uh, one with another. Verse 44. No one is able to come unto me if the Father who sent me may not draw him. 
and I will raise him up in the last day. Now you see, we have the last day being proclaimed again. See, I said I was going to read through what? 47. We'll go back to that verse. And, um, and is having been written in the prophets that they shall all be taught of God that everyone therefore who heard from the Father and learned cometh to me. See, that was the prophecy of the Old Testament. They learned from the Father and that's how they would go to and they'd find the Messiah. Through the word of God. You see, it's always through the word of God and that's the prophet's writing. Romans 10:17 and Romans 10:13 through 15. Verse 46. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say to you, he who is believing in me hath life without end. And then he says, I am the bread of life. Well, he had just told them that he had seen the Father, if he's the one that's out of heaven. Now, let's get to the key word, verse 44. This is the statement that you'll find in most of your Calvinistic teachings, is that it says, look here. God draws every person to Christ. Now, what's, what's that word draw mean to you? Um, most people think it's like grabbing hold of somebody and, and pulling them over this way or that way. But in Bollinger's, we need, we need to find out what the word draw means. Uh, there's, oh, I forget how many meanings there, there is, uh, how many different... Um, uh, page 235 of Bollinger's and the first... Um, the first action, how many is there there, Alex? There's one through five. Is there any more? Uh, six. There's six different ways to use this word. Unfortunately, in the English, unless, you know, uh, we just use the word, we have the word draw here, but I think most people mean think that it means drug or drag. But it doesn't mean that at all. It doesn't mean that. What does that word mean? To draw. To draw up. It, it, ha, it, is an, it implies a certain attraction mentally or morally. Now this is the Greek. This is the Greek definition of the word that we have in this text. It's a different, different spelling, different word than the other words used for draw because there's a different uh, reason for it. So that's the, the implication that there is an attraction and, and it's either mentally or morally. Probably both in, in most cases. Now what this means is no one that, that Jesus is talking here about uh, no one is able to come unto me if the Father who sent me may not draw him. In other words, what, what is it that brings people to listen to the words of Christ or the words of his apostles 
or the words of Scripture. Is it not this attraction either mentally or morally? If you don't have that, you fall into the no one category. You have to be drawn. But this is, this is it's not you being drugged. You are the one going. You see, it's not to be forcibly drawn as with a net. That, that's how one of the other words, uh, Greek words for this, you know, you're, you're grabbed in a net and drug along. Traxler used to make, make the point about the, the, the apostles being the salt of the earth. Right. The salt of the earth, the, the, their purpose was to make the people thirsty. When the people are thirsty, what, what are they going to go doing? Right. They're going to look for something to drink. And did, did, not, did not the Lord just say something about not, not ever being thirsty? That's right. That's right. And, and that's a very good point. Um, matter of fact, that's one of the, the metaphors that's used by the Lord. And it's used by, by in Revelation, we find it also being used uh, with God speaking about the, the thirst for the water, the living water. But you know, Neil, Christ was always clear. He was always clear when question, whether he was questioned about his, his motive and his actions and his miracles. He always directed the praise back to the Father. He right. always did that. And this, this part of him had to, have been, had to have been ignored by the priests and the powers that were around then. And, but, you know, the people, the people followed Christ. They adored Christ. But if they got close enough to him to hear him speak, they heard him direct the praise back to the Father. Which was very appropriate, of course. As did the apostles when they were... Yeah. Yes, exactly. It's it, flawless. In, in verse 45, he brings the praise back to the, to the prophets. Right. The and words of the all prophet. All of these men involved had the free will or the draw, as you say, mm-hmm. into I mean, what, what he, they loved and the life. What he's saying is this is not the first time you had opportunity to understand this. If that's you were great. reading God's Word. And yeah. we have the same challenge here. Yeah, that's a great point. If we don't read it, we can't say we didn't know. That may be our condition because we didn't read it. Well, but it's not an excuse. Some of them, some of them <laughs> right. refused still. It's not an excuse, and it's not going to work. Um, I would ask uh, those listening today in this group, uh, some will say, well, how about John chapter 1, the first five verses? Isn't that saying that Jesus is God and, and uh, this and that and all kinds of things? He's the creator. Let me tell you something, friends. That's not what the text says. But it's said over and over again in so many places that I've, I've grown weary of trying to deal with it. The word, the word spoken about in John 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. It's not was a God, as the Jehovah Witnesses have. Because, you see, Jesus is the Archangel Michael to them. But I wasn't supposed to tell you that until you get involved with him. But nonetheless, 
in verse 2. This one was in the beginning with God. In the beginning means he was with the Father before the beginning. All things through him did happen. Who? Who's the him? The word, right? All things through him did happen. And without him happening not even one thing that had happened. In him was life and the life was the light of men. And the light of the darkness did shine and the darkness did not perceive it. And then we go on into what all of that means. But the thing is, friends, I'm going to say it this way. The Word is the Son of God. He existed before the creation of the material Word as Jesus has said himself in front of the apostles in John chapter 17. He was with the Father. Jesus is not the Creator. For the Father spoke all into existence, but all through the Son and for the Son. These things, all of creation through his Son, for he is the Word of God, the Logos of God. He is the exact representation of God, but he is not part of of the man-made trinity he's the son of god and we need to understand i don't if we appreciated that we wouldn't be making up stories such as the three in one and things of that sort bible doesn't talk about it nor should we so let us um, mull these things over and I'm, I'm planning on starting a series next week, hopefully, Lord willing, on Abraham. Because Abra through Abraham came the promise to the Jews and the promise to us in Christ of all things to do with life without end. But it starts with Abraham. We're just going to break into Genesis there when Abraham, and we'll go through it. It's a wonderful, it's a, it's a good study. It's a little different than what we've been doing. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. Any comments about what we've said today or the last week, let us know. And we'll try to deal with it uh, according to the scripture. We pray that you will be with us next week. We pray, Lord, that you will guide each of us and strengthen us for the task ahead. Help us to understand your word, Father, by every, uh, every uh, way that we have available to us in this life, that we may know you better, and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.